The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 205 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for checking in with us again this week. Uh, We really appreciate it. And before we get into this week's amazing conversation, uh, I wanted to give you an update on a past guest. I'm sure many of you remember Tony Overbay. You can go back to episode 143. Tony is a marriage and family therapist. He's the host of the Virtual Couch podcast. He's a speaker, an author, and and Tony has really dedicated his life to helping people, serving them, making their lives better, and his family could use some help. His daughter, Alexa, was in a just horrible car accident where her car was T-boned, and uh, she's gone through some some really traumatic health issues due to it, and it's going to need a lot of surgeries, a lot of therapy. And obviously, that's going to be incredibly expensive. Uh, If you go to GoFundMe.com, just like it sounds, GoFundMe.com, and you can search for Alexa's Road to Recovery, Alexa's Road to Recovery, and there you can donate. And whatever you can afford to donate, uh, the Overbay family is just an amazing family, and they're going to be dealing with Alexa's health issues for a long time. Now, fortunately, she is okay. She is going to recover. I say okay. She's not certainly not okay, but she is going to live and going to survive. But this is going to take a lot of surgery, a lot of operations, and they are trying to raise quite a bit of money because it's going to be very expensive. And again, Tony has really dedicated his life to serving and helping others, and his family could use some help. We are also going to share the link on our social media and please, if you could, again, that's GoFundMe.com uh, slash Alexa's Road to Recovery, or just search for Alexa's Road to Recovery on uh, GoFundMe. And I know that uh, Tony and his family would really appreciate it. Okay, on to the show this week. My guest on the show, talk about people who make the world a better place. Brock Blake is just an incredibly successful man. He's the CEO of a very well-known funding company, uh, here in Utah, and just one of those top CEO guys. And I found him to be so inspiring. He's so humble and yet driven, and he just had a tremendous insight. His life story is fantastic. Uh, you're going to love it. He also has an amazing connection uh, to our show, or at least someone involved in our show, and I'll let him share all of that there. And uh, coming up this week in my latter day life, Thanks a million. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. Today here on the Latter-day Lives podcast, my guest is the founder and CEO of Lendio, which is an online marketplace for small business loans. He is a uh, an Inc. 500 CEO, a speaker, a Forbes columnist. And before you even get to really talk, Brock, I have to get this out of the way. 
Uh, the EY Entrepreneur of the Year 2020 for the Utah region, the Q Awards 2020 Entrepreneur of the Year, Business Intelligent Group, Small Business Executive of the Year for 2013, Utah Venture Entrepreneur Forum, Peak 100, and ETA 40 Under 40 in 2008. My goodness, Brock Blake, welcome to the show. That just means I have a really good team around me. That's all that means. So clearly Brock is an underachiever and uh, holy cow, we have a lot to talk about, Brock. Talk about success. And uh, I'm going to save it for our audience as to how we ended up getting connected. But uh, let's get to know you a little bit. Tell us a little bit about uh, where, where you're from, where you grew up. Yeah, so I grew up in O-Town, Ogden, Utah. Uh, I'm the youngest of six, and so uh, my uh, my I have one older sister, and she's the oldest of uh, um, was kind of my second mom, and then five boys, and uh, grew up. Uh, you know, being the youngest of six, and especially with five boys, I had to fight and scrap for everything. Uh, but I also had some incredible examples as uh, uh, siblings who kind of paved the way for me and and uh, gave me people that uh, to look up uh, look up to through my whole life. My mom was a school teacher. My dad is a psychologist, and uh, grew up in kind of some humble beginnings and and uh, an amazing childhood. That is awesome. So with your brothers, here you are, this big uh, Fortune 500 CEO. But when you're with them, you're still the little brother, right? I'm the, I'm the little brother, always fighting for recognition. <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? None of it matters. No question. Right, and were you raised yeah. in the church? I was. Yeah. Awesome. My mom is a convert. Um, she went to, interesting enough, she grew up up in the Northwest in Portland and a single mother home uh, was as poor as can be. She mm. worked her whole life. And uh, in fact, uh, she, during high school, she made her a prom dress out of, uh, she wanted to go to prom and she couldn't afford a dress. She saw through the window of a shopping store, a a dress that she thought looked pretty. And she went and bought, uh, or somehow got a hold of some fabric and, and, and literally made her own dress. Wow. That was a neat story. And uh, she had to work her whole life because her mom barely made enough to uh, even pay the mortgage. And so she, she went to, uh, she decided one day she was going to go to BYU. She had no, she was not uh, a baptized member. Um, And she had a friend who uh, was going to BYU. And what she was attracted to is that she knew that they didn't smoke and they didn't drink. And she's like, that sounds amazing. I, I, I want to, you know, a new adventure. And so she, she, uh, figured out how to get to Provo, Utah and went to BYU and, and was baptized and met my dad. And so, um, but I grew up in the church. That is awesome. What were you into when you were young? What were your hobbies? Sports, everything. Um, I played every sport you could think of soccer, football, basketball, um, we caused problems in our neighborhood, you know, with me and my friends. Uh, I ended up uh, through high school, played um, uh, soccer and football and uh, and then went and played soccer at BYU. Um, but so everything that we did in my whole life kind of as, as youth was always in the backyard playing basketball or throwing the football or kicking the soccer ball, 
Um, and uh, I was pretty passionate about that. That and Lake Powell. Yeah. I, so our, our, our listeners cannot see, but you have a huge, huge picture of Lake Powell back behind you. <laughs> yeah. So did you, did you grow up going to Lake Powell? It's, it's definitely my family's happy place. Ever since I was born, every single year, we'd go as a family. We'd go with a few other families in the neighborhood. And uh, just some incredible memories beyond the, on the, this, you know, old little teeny houseboat and learning to water ski and, and all of that. And so we've continued that tradition today with my family. We go there at least a few times a year. It's just, I love it down there. That is awesome. What a fun place. I love Lake Powell. Uh, all right. So I have a question about soccer because my friends who were into soccer in high school were a little bit cooler than the other kids. <laughs> Did you feel that way? Like, Hey, soccer is really where it's at the soccer team oh, or the man. soccer team and water polo. Cause they were a little bit different. You know, it wasn't <laughs> the traditional football Were you guys kind of the, the cool guys on campus. Be oh, I don't think so. I, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, it was a it was a sport that I, I loved and, and had a little bit of athleticism at the time that, you know, just, I was a goal scorer and uh, we had an amazing uh, coach that uh, was a dear friend, coached me from little league all the way. And he just stuck with us. He ended up being the high school coach and our senior year, we went to the state championship and, and we ended up losing in the state championship. Um, and, uh, so it's, um, and every summer we'd go to these soccer tournaments and, um, so it was a big part of my upbringing, um, and kind of who I am is kind of being, being competitive and learning to work with team, team members and stuff like that. But, uh, I wouldn't say that the soccer players were the, were the cool guys that I think that was reserved for the football guys. So. <laughs> the football guys definitely thought they were cool, but the <laughs> right. soccer guys were cool. So, all right. So you get into high school. Um, did you watch, did your, did your brothers go on missions? Were you able to see them kind of take off? Yeah. Was that inspiring so, to you? For sure. So all of my, my brothers, they all played different basketball or football and, and, uh, and they, they went on missions. And so from a young age, uh, you know, especially my older brother, uh, my oldest brother went on a mission to Washington, DC, and we would, you know, get his letters and read them. And, and every single one of my, my older sibling, my older brothers went on missions and they just, um, you know, from when I was the youngest, all growing up, I always just looked up to my brothers, uh, what they were doing and who they were and the type of people they were and, and going on a mission. And so it was always from day one, like I knew hundred percent I was going on a mission. And mm. It was just a matter of when and getting prepared for it and, and whatnot, but definitely from the legacy that they left, uh, they paved the way for me. Um, That's so. awesome. I don't know. I don't know your exact age, but uh, looking at some of your accolades, uh, you must have gone on a mission when you were 19, not 18. <laughs> so what yes. was that? What was that year in between uh, in between high school and a mission like? Yeah, so I went to BYU um, and uh, spent a year there. Um, like I said, played soccer there. So it was an amazing year for me. Um, had uh, met some um, dear lifelong friends lived in the dorms, had a blast, played soccer. It was, it was incredible. With so much good going on at BYU and having such a good time, was there ever a thought of maybe I should bump the mission for a year or were you just gung-ho to get out? It was never, uh, never a thought for me. Um, 
you know, we, I always knew, I mean, for me, I actually had a full year. Um, and so the, I would put my mission papers in to be able to leave as soon as I could, uh, after my second semester. And I think I, we ended in April and I left, you know, beginning of May. Uh, so it worked out really, really nicely. Uh, awesome. All right. So you get your call. Where did you serve your mission? So um, I was called to serve in Uruguay and Uruguay, Montevideo, uh, the West Mission. I had the best mission president of all time. If you were to stack rank all the mission presidents across <laughs> the history of time, President Gene Chittister would be at the top of that list. And uh, and in all seriousness, um, Gene, who's you know producer of this podcast. Uh, to me is is a father figure has changed my life in many many ways and I owe so much of uh, my gospel foundation to what I learned from from this man and and uh, so he's near and dear to my heart um, so yeah well, we, could, we could both glow about uh, Gene and and just to make it uh, for our listeners to know, Gene is on the call with us. So he's he's sitting back there glowing. So so you're serving with President Chittister, the, the producer of our program, which is awesome. How was uh, how was your mission experience in Uruguay? We all know it's the, the highest of highs and some of the lowest of lows. Um, I remember the first first week I got there, I got there. It was winter in uh, in Uruguay. And, um, and they told me that it wasn't ever going to get cold down there. So I didn't prepare for, <laughs> but it's extremely humid and no snow, but it is freezing. And, um, I, uh, I couldn't turn on, I, I, I didn't know how, like there in, in Uruguay, they, the, uh, the, the, uh, shower heads are, you have to turn on like this electric thing to, and, and the water goes into the shower head and then it heats up and then it falls. And I'm just used to just turning the knobs down here. So for a week, I would turn on the shower to go get, and, and it was just cold water. And I didn't know how to turn on the heater up in the shower head. And so, and I was, I was with a, a companion from Chile and, and, and I was living with a family who didn't speak any English. And, and for a week, I could not get warm. I was oh. colder in Uruguay than I've ever been, ever been in my entire life. And I was just like, I, this is the horrible. I cannot get warm. It was not supposed to be cold down here. And finally, you know, one day I'm like, Frio, the water's Frio. How do you shower every day with a cold shower? And he's like, and my companion, and, you know, in, a, in my broken Spanish, he was like, the water's not cold. What are you talking about? <laughs> it finally came in and showed me how to actually turn on the, the warm aspect of the shower head. So I could get warm, but um, you know, that not only just the, the change in, in culture, um, but you know, you go through different challenges with companions, being away from home and, and all of that. And, and um, but, but also the, the most amazing experiences of my entire life with people that are so humble and grateful and you know you build these lifelong eternal friendships with that at and uh you grow so much as a person and who i've become today um and my my drive and my motivation and my foundation in the gospel uh, i can i can trace them back to my time serving in in uh, uruguay and and trying to leave kind of everything i had uh during my time there uh talk a little bit about what you learned about leadership on your mission. Yeah. 
the first thing I learned was just how um, to love people. And I think that, it, you know, leadership really is about service um, and it's about love. Uh, and, and I learned so much to how to connect and, and how to serve and how to, like in Uruguay, one of the things they have uh, this tradition is when you go into a room, like you need, you should be like acknowledging every single person in the room and going and giving them a brasso and, and, um, and, and, and it's, and to me, that was like learning to like the, the, the one, it's not like I'm coming into a room and I'm just saying hi to everyone. It's like each individual recognizing them for who they are and their strengths and um, and so that was probably lesson number one is, is just like learning and, and appreciating this, the, the talents and the strengths and weaknesses that other people, uh, have. Um, so about love and service, I'd say, um, the second thing that I, I probably, that I learned, um, anything that's worth doing is, is probably, um, going to be extremely difficult and challenging at some point. And, uh, my, the times where in my life, like I've gone through some very difficult challenges as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, um, even in this last couple of years, I call them these, uh, um, these fetal moment mo- or fetal position moments, Yeah, uh, sure. five or so fetal position moments as a CEO, where I've been on the ground in the fetal position, not sure if I'm going to make it through the next day. And, and, and people are looking to you, uh, to like, how are you going to respond in these challenging times? And, and they need someone who's going to be confident and they need someone who's going to not get overwhelmed and is not going to flinch during the, the most challenging times. And part of that, I learned during my mission, um, my second area, uh, I was with a companion that at the time I did not appreciate. He was much older than me. We had extreme different personalities. And I thought, I'm not going to make it through this. I'm, I'm not. It was so difficult. Every day, every moment was a conflict and a challenge. And, um, and I learned during that time to appreciate him. And I learned that I grew the most. I, I matured the most during that, mo- during that time. And, and, and so by looking back during that experience, I realized um, like difficult moments are, are opportunity for growth. And, and, and how do you respond to those challenges um, from a leadership perspective? Um, man, awesome. I could go on all day about leadership principles around kind of work ethic and, and, you know, and, and, and being the one that, you know, people look to and, and your attitude and, and being, you know, positive and happy. And, um, you know, those are, those are a few that come, come to mind quickly. And I would never recommend that someone go on a mission to learn temporal success strategies, <laughs> but I think <laughs> no it's way. one of the more underrated things that our young men and young women pick up while they're on missions. Do you look back, especially now, again, in this, not only a CEO role, but as a father, and, uh, you know, looking back, I remember being on my mission at 19 and 20 and thinking, we run this town, we're, we're, we're it, we're the stuff. Do you look back now and go, I can't believe a 19-year-old was trusted with that much? Yeah, no, no question. Uh, 
you know, 18 and 19 and even today, 18 year olds, man, that the, the, you know, they're not extremely mature <laughs> and how president Chittister, you know, dealt with a bunch of 19 year olds running around and making such dumb decisions and stuff like that. Uh, but it's truly the beauty of the gospel right. uh, that when you are humble and you realize it's not about you and it's about the message, it's about the, uh, kind of two messages for me. It was about families and it was about the savior. And when you focus your efforts and your time on them, then it's not about you, that it doesn't matter if you're 18 or you're 14 or you're 25 or you're 75. Um, it'll, the message will, will find its way into the hearts of people. Uh, and uh, so that trust is like, if you forget yourself and you focus on the, on the message, then, then you can do anything. It doesn't matter what your age is. Yeah, I, I loved on my mission when people would say, what am I going to learn from a 19 year old? And I'd say, that's nothing I'm about to tell you about a 14 year old. So you know, <laughs> 19 in our church is mature. See the name elder. I am old in yeah. our church. So. Right. <laughs> so you finish up your time in uh, Uruguay, you come home from your mission. What came next? Yeah. So I went back to BYU um, and I played soccer there and um, I met the love of my life. Uh, and, uh, we met, uh, at, at, well, it was at BYU, but she was an EFY counselor. I was a soccer player. So during the summer, neither of us really had a summer. I was playing soccer. She was doing EFY every single week. So the first week of school in 2003, she, uh, this, this group of individuals put together this cruise to go for all EFY counselors. And I found out about it. It was a great deal on a cruise and uh, a bunch of BYU students going, uh, I'm in. And I took one of my other mission companions, who's a baseball player, was in the same experience. He, he had baseball all summer. And we went down on this cruise and I, and I met my wife down there. And uh, she's just amazing. Um, and uh, I mean, we, we met on that cruise and we basically every day since have been together the rest of our lives. And um, so anyways, we got married at BYU, played soccer and, and, uh, graduated and then started my entrepreneurial career, right, right from, from my time at BYU. Did you know that you wanted to be in business the whole time you were at BYU? I did not know I was going to be in business until I was on my mission. Actually, um, there were two things that helped drive me towards, towards business. One was a very, I wanted to be a doctor and I experienced the most traumatic experience on my mission. Um, that, uh, that made me realize that medicine was not where, where I wanted to go. Um, the, the short story is, um, a lady was walking down a hill and she was very heavy set lady and she was in high heels and it was on a cobblestone street and she fell and, uh, and twisted her ankle. And it was much more than a twisting of an ankle. Mm. And it was very traumatic. And I was the first one there and she was in shock and everything. And, and I could not get that scene out of my mind for like weeks. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be a dog. <laughs> and then uh, the passion that President Chittister had for business and, and the man that he was just, I wanted to be, you know, he, he was a great example for me. And, and I realized, man, there's an opportunity here, business and entrepreneurship. And, and I started to kind of learn more about that. And came home and and uh, and uh, learned a lot more about it and kind of jump jump started me into into business being an entrepreneur. So, did you graduate with a business degree out of uh, BYU? I did finance. Yeah, 
Yeah. Awesome. So uh, then you're out into the cruel, cold world. What came after BYU? So um, while I was finishing up BYU, I heard about this entrepreneurial competition. Um, it, was, it wasn't like a business plan competition. It was kind of like the TV show, The Apprentice, mm. uh, for those that remember that, right? Where they go through this eight-week kind of competition, eight-week boot camp, where one week is a sales competition and a marketing competition and whatnot. So there were 100 applicants. They, they, they selected 20 of us. 20 of us went through this kind of eight weeks. Uh, it was a uh, it was a boot camp. It was a, like every single uh, Wednesday uh, for four hours. They would teach you all these entrepreneurial principles. Then we'd go do this competition. And at the end of the eight weeks, they uh, they selected five of the 20 as winners um, to be. And they gave us each fifty thousand dollars to go and start a business. Uh, and we could use that to buy a business start a business or however we wanted. Um, I was fortunate to be one of those winners and that got me kind of started as, as an entrepreneur. Um, and uh, I went up, started talking to business owners and was trying to figure out what I was going to do with that. Ended up talking to a lot of businesses and and found out that there was this big need that most businesses, one of their, their primary needs was they needed uh, access to capital. And so, kind of that started my my journey down this uh, this this path of trying to solve that problem, helping business owners get access to capital. So, what was the first? What, first of all, what was the first company called? It was called Funding Universe. Funding Universe. Okay. Yeah. How do you just jump in and figure? Like that sounds really big. We hear a lot of business ideas that you can kind of get your head around. Okay, I could see. But I mean, if business leaders, CEOs are having a hard time finding funding, hey, this kid fresh out of college, I'll bet he could find us funding. That <laughs> feels like a big ask. So so what listen, were your first steps and how did you get into it? Listen, we, we made every mistake in the book. Um, <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Um, and we, you know, at first we created a kind of a dating website where a business owner could post their business plan and then you'd have investors come in and review the business plans and decide the ones they would like, and connect that way. Then we layered into it. So we called speed pitching is like speed dating. Business owner would go table to table to table, pitching their business idea to a group of investors and we'd connect them that way. And we just kept trying things and, and failing and trying things and failing. And, and um, you know, eventually we realized, you know what? Most businesses are not going to raise money from an investor. It's not going to be angel or venture capitalists. Most businesses are restaurants and landscapers and dry cleaners. They're going to need more of a loan. Um, so eventually we changed uh, the whole business model from from equity funding to debt financing to getting a loan and uh and and launched lendio in 2011 and and even then uh launching lendio we 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 took us three more years so we started funding universe in 2000 the end of 2005 for five years we were trying to figure out this business like just living on a shoestring budget and making every mistake in the book living in my parents home because they were on a mission so I could live there for free and <laughs> and just no money at all. And and then we launched Lindio and we we started to make a little bit of traction, but it wasn't until about 2014 when we really got the business like figured out 
product market fit where, you know, what, what we do today, like we, we figured out the solution and, and then it kind of started to take off. So as you're going through those tough times, um, how many times did you hit the wall and come home and go time to give up time to get a job? You know, because you're watching your friends who have graduated, they're taking jobs, they're making money. You're not, you know, you've got all this pressure. You're trying to to raise a family. Did you have kids at the beginning of Lindio? Yep. Yep. I did. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. So first off, just a tribute to my wife. Uh, you know, I remember a story we were at it. We were at these, one of these awards tables way back in the day. And that, well, I wasn't getting any sort of award, but we were there and, and there was a table of entrepreneurs. And, and at the exact same time, there were two conversations happening. One conversation was me and another entrepreneur. And it was like, how's business going? And he's like, oh, it's going great. You know, we got this happening, got this happening. It's like all positive. And, and at the exact same time, my wife and his wife were having this conversation. It's like, Okay, so how are things going? And he's like, and there she's like, well, he tells me we're going to get a paycheck this month, but I don't believe it, you know. And like, and and it, it for the first time in, in like it dawned on me like, what a saint! How in the world is she yeah. just putting up with this? This trusting me, she doesn't have any control. She can't influence how how well the business goes, and she's just there. And she's trusting and she's believing. And um, so, you know, I, I, I m- getting through any of those really, really, really challenging moments as um, 100% my wife. Uh, and I talked about these five fetal position moments where I would be on the ground in fetal position saying, I'm not sure I'm going to make it tomorrow. And she's the one that comes in and is like, let's go get off the ground. You know, like I had one not too long ago where uh, I was, I could not see further than a couple inches in front of my my face. And it was a big, very, very, very big challenge. The, the challenges only get bigger, the larger the company. And, uh, and, and she knew I just was, uh, I couldn't, I wasn't getting through it. She came in and she's like, I've got the whole family right now. It's breath. That's praying and fasting for you. And we all believe in you and we're going to the temple and we're doing our family history and those blessings are going to come through. So get off the ground and go figure this out. And, uh, and, uh, you know, and once you kind of put it in that perspective, you're like, all right, I can do this. I'm not alone, but with all of that help, I can make this happen. So a lot there to my wife, it's just amazing. Um, and has kind of been the champion behind the scenes. When you have not only your own family, but you start building up employees, you start building up a lot of employees, and all of a sudden you realize you're responsible for all these people. You know, they all, they're all counting on mortgages and everything else. What does that do to your relationship with Heavenly Father and prayer? Oh, man. Um, you know, I, I, I tell people all the time that I am a steward, um, you know, and this position for me is I, I have a responsibility and a stewardship that I'm accountable for, um, financial, 
um, and the impact that I, that I can have in the community, and the impact I can have on the lives of all of the team members that we have. Uh, and that became, I learned that lesson um, is a valuable lesson I learned early on where the, uh, this is a, a longer story I'll make short, but it was a Friday before Christmas, very, very early on. And we'd run out of that $50,000 and uh, we had eight employees and, and I had to go to them and tell them that we weren't going to be able to make payroll the Friday before Christmas. Oh. And, um, and uh, man, that was one of those first, that was the first fetal moment position uh, uh, or, or fetal position moments that I had in my career. And, and you realize that, man, there's a lot of people and families that are dependent, not just on me. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to like, it's all dependent on me, but that, that there's this stewardship, there's this, you're leading and, um, and you realize that, uh, you know, prayer becomes real because it's, you're an instrument, um, you know, you know that God loves every single one of those individuals um, and their families and their scenarios and that this p- company might be the answer to their prayers, that position. Um, and so it's, it brings, you know, it brings, um, and I don't talk about this in, you know, with my employees or whatever, but it, I, it definitely, you, you, um, I personally am heavily reliant on on prayer and kind of the, 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 the Holy ghost provide guidance during my, as I try and lead uh, the company, not that he cares about the success of my business. He doesn't, but he cares about the individuals inside our business and the people we, we help. It's a great perspective. And your business does help businesses. I mean, you are literally sometimes the one lifeline as to whether or not a mom and pop uh, or larger business will succeed. You've done billions in loans. Uh, is yeah. there a business that you have helped out that comes to mind that was personally rewarding to see them kind of take it to the next step because of your services? Oh man, that's that's what I that's why I love what we do is because it's we're impacting the lives of individuals and we're helping them you know put food on the table and and grow their business and pay for their their, you know, uh, their um, children's college education and, and things like that. Um, we, uh, we just had a story um, of someone that, uh, you know, the stories, I guess, that I would just tell you are the story that come to mind quickly are those that during PPP, uh, PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program during this pandemic, yeah. Um, was kind of this huge stimulus program and, and the small businesses could get access to this financing. And, and um, we were a big player with the, the Paycheck Protection Program, helping small businesses. And at the time, um, you know, I had, the, it, was the, it was 10 times more difficult than anything I've ever done. Um, just the pressure of it all and 10 times more rewarding. Let me, let me try to give you an example of the pressure. At the time of the pandemic hit, all businesses were shut down and you had all these businesses that, that felt like, man, if I don't get a loan, I'm not going to be able to make payroll. And I'm going to let all these people down. Mm. So for me, I had people from my entire life 
people from my childhood, from my high school, from college, from mission, from church, from that were reaching out to me personally saying, Brock, please, my bank won't give me a loan. Please help me get this paycheck protection oh. loan. And, 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 you know, the, the pressure of everyone you've ever known in your ward in your neighborhood <laughs> and whatever that owned a business that if, if we didn't help them get that loan, like I was letting them down. Uh, and so it was literally during those first four weeks, uh, not, and sometimes you kind of say this, but it's not real, like legit 20 to 22 hour days mm. where I, it was everything. I, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of business owners that with applications and you're trying to, every single one of them was unique and different and had to meet the criteria and the, the, the calculation had to be right. And it had to fit all this. And if one thing kind of was wrong, it would slip through the cracks. And, and, um, and that was, uh, but then the stories that came out of it afterwards, the thank yous, the, the gratitude, the, you saved my business. Like we would wow. be gone. Um, is it was just so meaningful. Uh, it was uh, so far kind of the highlight of my career, just because the impact we had on so many the lives of so many people. That is wonderful, and not it's not enough that you just work with uh, people through your business. You also have a program called Lendio Gives. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so Lendio Gives for us. Um, you know, early on, uh, one of my team members came to me and he said, Brock, I think we can, I think we can do more. I think we can add a component here that will bless the lives of other people. Um, there's this program called Kiva and Kiva basically gives small micro loans to entrepreneurs in, in third world countries. So it might be someone in Ethiopia and, and she's a female entrepreneur and is, is wants to, need money to buy a goat and they're going to get the goat's milk and sell it in a market. And that's how she's going to have a living. And she needs $50 to make that happen. And he's like, you know, what if we, for every loan that we do uh, and at, at Lendio, what if we also gave a loan away to a third, an entrepreneur in a third world country? Mm. And, um, and I just loved, loved, that the, the the opportunity to do that, and so what we created was, it's actually employee um, our team members here. We ask them to sacrifice something um, once a month. Um, so I don't care if it's a cup of coffee, a lunch, a dinner, a day of food. It doesn't matter to me. Um, I just ask you to sacrifice something, and then Lendio matches it. And then, so we take that, we took that small pool of funds and at first it was only a few hundred dollars. We went out and we gave a loan for every loan we were doing, $25 loan or whatever. Then those entrepreneurs pay it back. And the, the payback rate is like 99%. I mean, it's, really? it's, a rate, it's amazing. Yeah. The performance of this. And we take that and we recycle it. And then, so this, this loan fund has grown and grown and grown. And now we've, we've uh, funded. Uh, over a million dollars, um, hundreds of thousands of these micro loans to entrepreneurs across the world. 90% of them are female entrepreneurs in third world countries. 
And, uh, and, uh, it is incredible. Again, you think about the stories of these people that you're helping and you're contributing and changing their lives and creating economic opportunity. It's really inspiring. Um, and so that's the core of our Lindio gives. We also do a bunch of other things in our community, uh, you know, on a regular basis that, uh, to, to try and be, you know, stewards in the community and, 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 and try and, and try and do good. So one last question about, uh, about your business life, and that is, what are the keys for you for staying grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ in the face of great success? Well, that's a hard question to answer because first of all, it's, you know, I just, it, I, I don't ever want to portray that, that, that um, we all have so many opportunities to, to be better and to um, and I, I don't ever want to portray that I've got it figured out or that, um, but there, there are things that's, there are things that are non-negotiables for me and, and for my family. And, um, I think for me, it's, it's the, the basic, um, you know, Sunday school answers of, of daily study in the scripture. And are you, are you putting yourself in an opportunity to feel the spirit on a daily basis? Um, and, um, I think that's the first thing is just to, that daily connection um, to the divine, right? To um, and to be taught and to be to learn, uh, and and um, so that's that's number one. I think number two, um, an amazing wife uh, who I'm always chasing and trying to keep up with, um, and I would say number three. Um, I've got a legacy. My, my, I started with my grandpa who did really well in his life. And he was, um, the best man I know. And he had this saying, remember who you are. Um, and you're a Blake. And what that meant is like, I, my motivation, a lot of people's motivation around building a great company and selling it or doing, doing anything that creates financial wealth is to like, I just want to, I want to make a lot of money and fame and whatnot. And my motivation is really about legacy. My my motivation is really about like stewardship, um, and uh, even like for me as a leader, I um, I teach a lot of gospel principles. I just don't use gospel words uh, on a daily basis, and and because I feel like I have a stewardship, and so it is. I'm not great at it. I'm trying every heart, every day um, to connect to the spirit. And then I feel like I want to build some, I want to build something. I want to have a legacy, but, but it's not about me or my name or anything because I want to do good. I want to leave the world in a better place. I want to, I want to have an impact. I want to go serve. I want to give back. I, um, that's where you just find meaning. We're going to wrap up with the question that we ask all of our guests. And that is what does being a member of the church mean to you? Oh man, this is a tough question because uh, it's to, to put into words. Um, for me, the gospel of Jesus Christ is is happiness. It's joy. Um, it's peace. It's understanding. It's doing good. Um, it's serving others. In my position as a leader, you see a, a broad spectrum of people. And, and you see a lot of challenges that come into people's life that are self-inflicted. Um, and, um, and 
that doesn't mean being a you know a part of the gospel that you're not going to have challenges. You're going to have a lot of them. Mm. They're just different. They're 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 different challenges that help you grow and to become more like God. And um, and but there's true joy and happiness that comes by living that and uh, that that I felt that I've seen in the lives of other people and that I want to be able to ha- that others to have a taste of that. And um, so it is, it's the core of who I am and I'm grateful for it. And, and uh, uh, it's blessed my life and the life of my family um, for, and I'll forever be grateful for that. He has a husband, a father, an entrepreneur, a CEO, and he's doing a whole, whole lot of good and a former missionary of President Chittister, we should point out, and doing a whole lot of good in this big world. Brock Blake, thank you for sharing your Latter-day life with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And my special thanks to my incredible guest, Brock Blake. I just, he is such an amazing guy. And I was so touched by his love of our producer, Gene, and Gene's love of Brock. When Gene first told me about Brock, he just lit up and was so excited to have Brock on, so proud of one of his missionaries. And it just reminded me so much of uh, the relationship that I have with with my mission president, what a special bond that is. But Brock is just an incredible man. Thank you so much for taking the time, Brock. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life, uh, we had kind of something exciting happen with the show. We don't talk about the show itself much in my Latter-day life, but this week we had a pretty darn awesome thing happen. Uh, We started the show a little more than four years ago, about four and a half years ago at this point. Uh, It was in July of 2017. And, uh, you know, when we started it, I was told a lot of things. I was told, oh, there are so many podcasts. And it's true. And it feels like everybody starts a podcast. And what could I have to say that, you know, everyone else hasn't already said? And I knew that it wouldn't be about me. It would be about our guests. And it would be about talking about the gospel. And that it would be great. And when we put out the first few episodes, I remember watching the numbers and counting them up and wow, we had 25 people listen. And that was amazing. And it really was. It was wonderful uh, to have 25 and then 50. And then I remember uh, when we hit 300, that we had 300 people listen to one episode. And I thought, wow, this is as good as it gets. And then I remember it stalled out for a while at about 300. We really weren't growing. And I was talking to uh, Jason Bringhurst, who's been on the show a few times, talking to Jason and I I said, man, we keep getting stuck at 300 people. Is it even worth it to keep doing the show? And Jason had great perspective. And he said, Sean, what if every Sunday you did a fireside and you had 300 people show up and you interviewed someone about the gospel? Would you be happy if 300 people showed up? And not seeing just the number 300, but seeing actually thinking about what 300 people means, that was pretty exciting. And and that we were able to share these incredible stories with so many people. And then it grew to be a thousand and then into the thousands. And it's just continued to grow from there. And it's been wonderful. Well, as of last week, officially, when we look at all time and we have ways to track different statistics 
And different people call it different things. Some people say downloads, but a lot of people stream the show. They don't actually download it. Uh, so we just say listens. Maybe it's not eloquent, but we, we talk about it in terms of how many listens did this episode get or how many listens did we have this week. And because our main goal, you know, we, we don't have any kind of uh, monetization on the show. We don't do anything to try to make money at all. Uh, we really care about just sharing incredible stories and trying to build the kingdom. So we don't pay that much attention to the numbers, but I do check them every now and again. And this past week, when we checked the all-time number, the Latter-day Lives podcast has now been listened to more than a million times. We have more than a million listens. And I'm just so amazed by it and so grateful because that means more than a million times people have heard... Uh, incredible souls testify of what it means to them to be a member of the church and what trials they've had and what they've come back from and the blessings they've had and the way they've gone out into the world and and touched other people's lives and the fact that we've been able to tell more than 200 stories what a blessing has been in my life but I just want to thank you for sticking with us and for listening and for all of your support and your positive feedback and your messages and so many of you who share the show with other people and, hey, I got my mom listening or shared this with a coworker, And, you know, it's just wonderful, this community that we've built. There are many listeners who reach out to me on a regular basis, and I feel like we have become dear friends. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'm glad we came back uh, when we took a little bit of a break there for a bit, which I thought was going to be forever. But I'm glad we came back and that we were able to keep going. And all I can say is let's go for two million. And that two million will come a whole lot faster than the million did because our listenership is just so much bigger now and continues to grow. So I'm just remarkably grateful for all of you, the listeners, and the one million times that uh, our episodes have been streamed, downloaded, or however you ended up listening to it. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. And a special thanks to uh, our producer, Gene, and to our social media manager, Skylar. Because, again, there is not a chance that I could do this show without them. They are the backbone uh, of this show and two of the best men that I know. So from the bottom of my heart, a million thanks. I really appreciate it. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day Life Thank you so much for tuning in again. We certainly appreciate it. If you do know someone, please be one of those listeners who shares the shows with their friends. And once again, I just want to remind you about our dear friend, Tony Overbay. And uh, if you have the means to help out, if you could go to GoFundMe.com slash Alexa's Road to Recovery, whatever you can donate, I know will mean a lot to the Overbay family and a lot to uh, Alexa, they could really use the help. And I think that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.